Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. So, James, I remember the first time we ever met. I mean, obviously via Zoom, because this whole this whole thing's crazy right now. Um, so, obviously, the first time we met was via Zoom. And you immediately tell, started telling me, I, I don't know baseball that well. And you are amazing at baseball. <laughs> and you, like, know everything about baseball. Thank you. I appreciate and it. And you started telling me, because I love, I love drama. I don't love to be inside drama. I, I love to observe drama. So you started telling me about this scandal um, that the Astros had in terms of cheating. Um, and you decided that was going to be our first episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's a great it's a great topic to talk about. Um, most baseball fans know this. The Astros used this uh, camera system that they hooked up in center field to get the signs that uh, catchers were putting down, so that their batters would know what pitches were coming. They used this with uh, a coordination team up in their tunnel, and the team would make audible sounds, reportedly using a trash can, uh, and this would alert the batter. Uh, of what pitch was coming. And if you know what pitch is coming, you can be a significantly better hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a lot of teams reported the Astros for doing this. Um, some people who were formerly of the Astros organization jumped onto other organizations and kind of adapted versions of this in, in subsequent years. Um, but it was a, ma- it, 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 is, it is the major scandal in my opinion in baseball, because whereas the steroid you know, scandal era mm-hmm. uh, was affecting many players throughout the game on every single team. This was one team being specifically affected. Not only were they affected, they won the World Series with this. And, you know, beyond that, like, no, no team has ever cheated and won the World Series. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know... You can... Or cheated on this level. So, yeah. Sorry, you, you had this good flow going. I don't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> but like on this level, because when you yes. explained it to me, it's like it's it's well beyond steroids. Because it's yeah. like it's yeah. I mean, with, with with steroids, you can have one or two players that are juicing up their bodies and they're working out so hard that you know they hit a few extra homers here and there. But you don't have a team knowing what pitches are coming. Like you can hit a home run knowing what pitch is coming more often than you hit a home run just because you're a little bit stronger, you know, and it's just one team being affected. And the reason why, like I say, this is so much worse than mm-hmm. any sort of previous cheating is because like you could take it a hundred years back, the 1919 black Sox scandal. That's what they call it. The black Sox scandal. Cause it was the, the Chicago white Sox, and they, they, they darkened the game. They brought, you know, darkness upon the game by disgracing the game by cheating in the world series they threw the world series reportedly so that they would gain a whole bunch of money they lose these games lose the world series but they'd be rich in the process and i mean a lot most of the players on that team were banned for life like shoeless joe jackson like one of the greatest players of all time babe ruth modeled his swing after jackson was banned for life um so even at tracing it back to that that's terrible for cheating right but they lost the world series they didn't win the world series the astros won the world series in 2017 doing this and uh, there are a lot of people out there who are like oh you know this the, the cheating only affected their numbers here and there there was no real evidence 
that it affected games. But by the end of what we talk about here, there is evidence. We have evidence. So, so yeah, should I should I just launch into that? I mean, I would just or... not, not not the evidence <laughs> just yet. Not the evidence yeah. just yet. Let's let's talk more about um the the hitters so like you you talked a lot oh yes so this is a very this isn't a very important thing to understand and we're going to be talking about this concept over and over again in different Mm -hmm. forms uh throughout our our, our podcasting because this is just frankly hitter development and when it comes to hitter development what usually happens is you have a hitter who is athletic and aggressive and they swing at everything and as they get a better idea of what they can hit and the strike zone and you know what pitches look like oh that's because it spins that way that's a curveball so I'm going to wait a little bit longer to start my swing you know as they get better and better they'll swing at less or you know their their swing frequency will go down across zone in general Um, and the the more that they dial in their swing towards the zone and the more kinetic their swing is uh, athletic and coordinated, uh, then the more they'll be able to hit for power. And at some point, they'll just be able to, I mean, ideally, if they're good enough, they'll just be able to hit the pitches in the zone and around the edges of the zone as well. Um, and we'll lay off all the pitches. Otherwise, they'll be able to hit the ones that are in there for power and frequent and frequently, like not just, you know, occasional power, just whatever's thrown in there, they're hitting and they'll lay off the pitches outside the zone. So they'll get their walks at that point in time. But after a player reaches their peak within the zone and and within the edges of the zone, then they won't be able to hit the edges of the zone and it'll just be, they'll be hitting what's in the zone. And then it'll be, they can't hit the low and away pitch. So they have to, you know, spoil pitches or they can't hit the high pitch. So they have to foul it off or, and that's what happens as the player starts to reach you know, their decline phase. And when they're in that phase, uh, they become what I call a uh, mistake hitter, meaning a hitter who gets the majority of their damage done against when a pitcher makes a mistake and throws you, you know, a breaking ball that doesn't break or a 91 mile an hour fastball with no hop in it straight down the middle. Um, That's a mistake pitch. And when you're at that stage of your career, you'll still walk because you're not swinging at balls. Um, and you can foul off enough pitchers' pitches to still be effective, you know, you know, eventually getting to a more hittable pitch and hitting it for power. Um, but at that stage of your career, you can only sustain that for so long. Um, and eventually, you know, you're, you're really just waiting for a pitch that you can crush and you'll have trouble versus a lot of the other pitches. And then you start to end your career. You start to leave the game because mm-hmm. who wants a player who's only effective if the pitcher makes a mistake right down the middle, you know? Um, so with a lot of these players on the Astros, with the next section that we will be discussing, um, a lot of them have basically overnight went from the b- most basic form uh, of a hitter to the most realized version of a hitter, almost past that, where they're fully dependent on mistake pitches and or their athletic ability in combination with just that approach to even be effective. Um, 
And uh, once you really start breaking down, especially this season, uh, it just really shows that this team was utterly dependent on this system to be above average players. Um, some of these guys, like, I, like I don't, not a lot of people remember this because awards are kind of separate from these types of issues. Yeah. But Altuve won an MVP award under this, you know, cheating system. And he won it over like a very, very good season from Aaron Judge. Now, I'm a Yankee fan, so I have to bring up, you know, all things being said, you know, if I'm speaking about, you know, giving Aaron Judge credit there, but like people lost MVPs. I don't think Aaron Judge is ever going to have another year like that. Mm-hmm. You know, just being objective. I'd love it. But like, you got to understand on an individual level, this affects so many other things. You know, uh, the Dodgers could have won the World Series that year. The Yankees could have won the World Series that year. Uh, what does Oakland think? Because Oakland had a couple of good years uh, during, you know, the, the, this system and they're in the same division. What happens if, you know, without that system, Oakland wins the division? You know, maybe, you know, so. Tampa Bay Rays, they got eliminated uh, with with the Astros using this system. So all these other teams, maybe they make it farther. Um, It it affected so much more than just like, oh, you know, now we can't tell moving forward if any sort of World Series are legitimate. It affected individual players' careers. It affected other teams. And like they're legitimately – like there's a few articles written out there that like some of the pitchers that they use this system against – are like out of baseball, like that. Like they had a couple of really bad games about against the Astros. Their team sent them down to the minors, and for for one reason or another, they never really recovered, and their careers are over. Um, so yeah, this affected a lot of people. This affected a lot, a lot of people. And then like you think, you know, if Altuve was really not as good as, you know, we thought, like if he was not, you know wouldn't guys like Miles Straw get more at-bats or wouldn't J.D. Davis have been getting at-bats for the Astros? Or So even guys who you know should have been playing for the Astros, they've been stunted. Their careers have been stunted to a certain degree, and now they're having to get it you know, going elsewhere. Um, so it, it affected so much, so much in the game. Um, and, you know, what was their consequence, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's really the next thing that we got to talk about. Because they didn't get any consequence. I mean, they, they did. They got a slap on the wrist, basically. Uh, the GM was banned for like a year. The, the manager was banned for a year. Um, no consequences were handed down to the players. Um, certain employees were fired that like helped send the players the, the information about what pitches were coming. Um, but their manager that got fired for a year, that got suspended for a year, um, that year's come and passed. The, the manager is now the manager of the Detroit Tigers. Yes, another, organi- uh, another major league organization gave the guy a job after this. Like, and I'll tell you, like, Alex Cora, that's another guy who I, uh, Alex Cora is the Red Sox manager right now. He was suspended for a year from the same scandal for the same reasons. And they just rehire him just like that. Um, It makes me as a baseball fan, like not only like, you know, sick to my stomach to see this, but really worried 
because like what other organizations think that they can find a way to cheat in this kind of way, right? But like not get caught, you know? Like the whole reason that the Astros got caught was like on video, you have like audible sounds of them like using the system. And then they have like, you know, when Astros won the World Series, they had like dugout camera footage of them going through the tunnel. And you could see that the, the station was set up right there for, for them to do the system, like with everything. Like it was obvious that they were doing it. I think it was something along the lines of, um, I think a friend of mine told me like 20 something teams over the course of a few years reported the Astros particularly for doing this. And Major League Baseball just basically sat on their hands. Mm-hmm. It might've been just under 20. It might've been like 19 teams. But like a ton just reported the Astros for doing this. And Major League Baseball actually did nothing. Um, I know it was at least five teams that reported it, but I, I'm thinking I was like, from what my friend said, it's a lot more than that. It was closer to like 20. Um, I, I want to verify that though. Um, that being said, like if you have that many teams reporting a team for doing this kind of cheating and you as a commissioner do nothing and then they're caught for it, and you hand down no punishments whatsoever. Um, I mean, I have a huge issue with Rob Manfred for that. And I think that honestly deserves it. It deserves its own podcast because Rob Manfred has been doing a lot of different things with the game. He's changed a lot of rules. So I think we'll have to record on that a different day for sure. Um, but this, I mean. It, it, that's, that's really funny that you bring up because uh, you bring up consequences and it's yeah. like. Because, like, the thing is, I think what's so crazy about this whole scandal is that, like, they they did get caught cheating. They did. There, there, people would not have been suspended. There wouldn't, like, 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 there wouldn't have been scenarios like that if there was no cheating involved. So it's really funny for you. I don't even know about the, the, again, this is what makes me a horrible person at knowing sports. I, I, You're you, good, man. You say that the, the White Sox scandal, you know, they wound up getting banned for life some of the players yeah and it's like so how is it and it's crazy to me it's actually really crazy and it shows you how times have changed how you can not only get away with cheating but with little to no consequences nowadays well what's really wild that i'm absolutely ecstatic that you brought that up because i totally would have forgotten to mention this but a couple of years ago in the atlanta brave system I believe the guy's name was like John Coppola or something like that. Uh, he was the, like the GM of the team. Mm-hmm. And they did this crazy international draft where they got like some crazy big bats. They got Kevin Maton specifically. And he was like this international guy that was supposed to be, you know, the next Miguel Cabrera. All these international guys are always the next Cabrera, you know? <laughs> and, and, and he was supposed to be like, yeah, he was supposed to be that, you know, 40 homer hitter, you know, that's 300. He gained a whole bunch of weight after signing and he's not, not, nothing's been the same for him. I hope he, he pans out, but um, what ended up happening was we found out, Major League Baseball found out that the reason why the Braves were able to sign so many people was because there was a lot of backroom negotiating, uh, you know, whether it be in Cuba or Dominican Republic with a lot of these agents and a lot of these agents were connected to like the mafia and these underground mm. services. So they want like exclusive like negotiating rights, but to get like, teams want the exclusive negotiating rights rather, but to get it from these you know under underground mafia guys, 
sometimes they have to pay behind the scenes to get these kind of exclusive negotiating rights. Mm. So that's what was going on with regards to the Braves. And the dude got banned for life. The GM got banned for life. This, co- this guy, I think his name's, I'm pretty sure his name's John Coppola. Um, and he got banned from, for that. He didn't get banned for like illegally winning a World Series by stealing signs and knowing what pitches were coming. He, he got banned for life for, for negotiating, you know, with 15-year-old, you know, draft picks, agents. Like, that's what got him banned for life. Mm-hmm. Like, what? And, these, and, no, and no one in the Astros scandal gets banned for life. Like, that just makes no sense to me. I think that's what, like, is really crazy to me. Because it's like, it's, it gets better. Every time we talk about this, it just gets better to me. Because it's like, there's just more information you throw at me. And I'm just like, dude, like, what happened? Like, what fell through the cracks here? And I think it was really crazy when the first time we actually talked about this, when um, you said, I forgot how you phrased it, but it was, it was really funny to me. It was, like, really interesting and really funny. But you you said to me, that they were like hey we have to come up with a a way to figure out like what the pitchers are going to be like and it's like that whoever was in charge was like yo we're just going to set up cameras and it's just like <laughs> who signed off on that like who i i don't know like like who who said yo that's a great idea like, fantastic idea it has yeah there has to be someone who was just like yes that but like honestly, what's the craziest part about this is like when you look at the Astros' strategy for bringing in talent, like what they're like as soon as the because the Astros went through a couple of years where they sucked, like their whole strategy was we're gonna lose a hundred games like three or four years in a row so that we can get the best draft picks in the draft so that we can rebuild our system faster. Um, but everyone that they went after, like outside of you know the obvious first round picks for being, you know, loaded with talent. Um, but everyone they went after, like Josh Reddick in recent years, Michael Brantley, Yuli Guriel out of Cuba, like all these guys that they were going after, they were specifically going after contact bats. So what do you think happens when you have a contact bat and you tell them what pitch is coming? You see what I'm saying? So this might have been something that actually was in play from the very beginning of them trying, you know, to come up with things. Because I like I remember when like they were to oh the Astros won the World Series. Look how smart they are and everything. And you know, this is what their GM did. Their GM, you know, like he met with the owner and apparently the meeting went so well and he blew the owner away to such a degree that he was hired on the spot. And I'm like, I wonder if like he, you know, was like, Hey, you know, we'll set up cameras so that like our contact hitters know what pitches are coming. So, that, you know, I wonder if that was, was, was discussed. Like if that, that was, but that's what I'm saying. That's what cracks me up is just like, yo, like who sat down in a meeting and was like, listen, man, we're, we're just going to put cameras all over the place. And we're going to do this thing where we bang stuff so that you know what pitch is coming. And then all of our players are just going to be so great at the game. It's going to be great. It's going to oh be amazing. And just like, <laughs> like they just sat there and they were like, yo, sign off on it. You got the job. Get it yeah. done. Like- <laughs> Basically, like that's honestly, that's, that's honestly what it seemed like. Like I just, like 
we and then then this is the best part about it all it's like oh no we got caught we got caught we got caught and then nothing happens Mm -hmm. it's just like oh okay i guess you know we'll just you know do it differently next time like reportedly they started doing it with whistles like that that's the that's what the teams are like saying now like in 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 this last postseason uh they're saying that you can hear whistling from the tunnel if it's one whistle it's a fastball if it's two whistles it's a curve you know that's just (laughs) dude there was another report that said that like there was uh the like the bullpen coach or the bullpen catcher if it was a fastball like they'd not put any hands on like the fence but if it was like a curveball they'd have one hand over the fence and if it was like you know a change up like off speed they'd have two hands like think about that for a second like if you have the 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 pitching coach doing it now in the outfield like it just makes you think like how many other ways can they find a way to like mess with this because clearly these people got no consequence and and they won the world series so it's just like what are they going to do are they going to have like a blinking light out there or is it just going to be like you know, when it's a curveball, that one fan sitting in that seat, they're going to turn to their left. Like, what? Like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It just, it makes baseball seem so illegitimate, especially since there's no consequences. What's to stop anyone from continuing this, doing this, doing their own version? You know, it just, it, it makes me feel very uncomfortable. But I feel almost like we should now launch into like the what happened with their players at least the main year of the cheating yeah so talk about it talk about so, what, talk about their yeah. players so we, we know like we guaranteed know that they cheated in 2017 okay and 27 we know what they cheated in the same same method in 2018 after after part of 2018 it gets a little bit unclear but that's when you know reportedly we have the whistling system where they got no consequences for it whatsoever. Um, But they got punished specifically for 2017, although why they didn't get punished for subsequent years or, you know, looked into for the whistling or any of that, I I don't know. I mean, they said they did, they did did look into it, but like quite literally there's video that John Boy Media, credit to him, uh, put out there on, on like on YouTube where you can hear the whistles. So, you know, you tell me, you go check that out and you tell me, Um, but specifically looking at how they cheated, I think it's very apparent that the cheating was like all the time Mm -hmm. in, in 2017, but come 2018, come 2019, I, I, I'm, I'm of the belief that they used the cheating to stay under the radar, to make sure that they weren't getting caught because so many teams were reporting them. They used it specifically when like runners were on second, runner on third, tie game, one run difference after the seventh inning, you know, like maybe there was a lefty on the mound and you had a bunch of righties up at the plate. You have that kind of platoon advantage. You can hit a home run fairly easy if you know what pitches are coming. Um, So I think that, that, that that's at least what my hypothesis was entering into, you know, my own research. Um, I've, you know, I've heard people talk about that, you know, the cheating changed the numbers and I've seen, uh, infographics and like, you know, photos and memes or whatever, but 
I don't think I've ever, ever seen anybody actually have like a, a video or, or a podcast where they actually brought up the, the numbers like and just talked about how ridiculous the difference is. So uh, during that year, the main year, 2017, they had Carlos Beltran at DH and they had Brian McCann at catcher who subsequently both retired. Uh, Beltran was hired uh, during this whole process uh, as the manager of the Mets, but then he had to step down as soon as the cheating allegations and all of it were brought up because obviously he would have been suspended. I think he actually might've been suspended for a year, just like the rest of them. But um, McCann, as, as somebody who was out of the game, he received no consequences either. Um, but, uh, you know, looking at specifically the players who continued to play rather than the ones who retired after this, let's start with Marwin Gonzalez. He's their super utility, probably one of the least interesting players on that team. Uh, he's a guy who in previous years had played for the Astros and he went on to play for the Twins in 2019 and last year in 2020. Um, in 2019, he had the juice ball working for him. Decent hitter that year, not, not the greatest, but decent for a super utility, um, right around league average. This year, without the juice ball, he was 34% below league average. Pretty terrible. Uh, but, you know, you put him on the Astros in 2018, where they were occasionally using the cheating, and all of a sudden he's 3% above league average. But perhaps a little bit more impactful, the year before, the main year of the cheating, 2017, he was 44% above league average. 44% above league average is a middle-of-the-order hitter. You'd expect that from your number three hitter. You'd expect that from your number four hitter. You'd expect that from somebody named like Chris Bryant or Nolan Arenado or, or Juan Soto or Christian Yelich or Giancarlo Stanton. And he's doing it. Marwin Gonzalez is doing it. Meanwhile, the next year... He drops off by 41 percentage points. Yeah, he goes from being 44% above league average to being what's essentially like an eight-hole hitter or a nine-hole hitter or a bench player, which is essentially what he, what he is. Uh, so that's how far he fell off. He fell off by nearly 45%, 41%, 40, so 40%. I'll just say 40%. And they're going to round down because it's, you know, yeah. Uh, so 40%, he fell off by 40%. Just year to year. Um, let's go to their center fielder who was mainly there to uh, – look, they moved guys around, but he's the main guy that they'd have late game. Uh, his name's Jake Marisnik. He can't hit. Um, last year he, he, he came off the bench for the Mets, and while striking out 30% of the time and only walking 3%, he actually had a great year. Uh, but the underlying numbers show that none of it is legitimate. Uh, and given that it was only in 34 plate appearances, which is, I mean, even less, it's 33 at-bats because uh, plate appearance, you know, uh, you can come up to the plate but not finish the at-bat. Now it could be taking place at second base or whatever. Um, point is, is that he's never really been a good hitter outside of this very small 2020 sample size and outside of 2017 when he was with the cheating Astros where the year before he's 40% below league average and the year after he's a good 16% below league average. But that year he's 17% above league average by far the best numbers of his career. 
Uh, they'd actually be tremendous numbers in general for a center fielder uh, at all. Like he, he's putting up great numbers in terms of uh, base running. He's putting up great numbers in terms of power hitting inside park, outside the park. Uh, he's actually, he didn't do too well that year uh, in terms of the D D E F in terms of that type of number. But I do know his UZR, which is, a, you know, a higher defensive number we'll get into later um, was excellent. So, uh, he was a very good defender overall during those years. I'm not going to count against him because he just had that one statistic out of, out of whack, but he was 17% above league average where usually he's 17% below league average. It's a good, like what, 30, 32% difference. That's a huge, huge difference in, in performance. Uh, so that's the second player with a huge drop. The first player was a 40% difference. This is a 30% difference. Okay. Well, let's move on to the player who's seen the least drop. And he's now not on the Astros anymore, which makes me supremely happy. At least I don't think they're going to resign him. And that's George Springer. Now, I think a good, re- a good amount of reason that Springer was able to um, do as well as he, as he is, is that he's like by far the most athletic guy on that team. So if any of them was going to be able to take their previous performance and, and translate it, at least in some sort of version, it was going to be him. He, he you know, could play center field, play right field, uh, faster than most of the guys on the team, uh, definitely more of a power hitter just from launch angle. Um, his ISO, which is an out-of-play out of power ranking or statistic, really, it dropped from basically 300 to 275. So not too much of a drop. But his in-play success, a.k.a. non-mistakes, pitchers' pitches, pitches on the edge of the strike zone, breaking balls, all of that type of stuff, his batting average dropped from 292 to 265. Um, He was able to uh, drop his strikeout rate by a good 3%, which is nice. But his walk rate also dropped by a good percent. So his numbers in total dropped by about 10% if we're looking at WRC+. Plus. Um, that's the smallest drop of all of them. And it's still, in my opinion, a significant drop because if you're looking at percentage-wise, he dropped by 10%. But if you're looking at type of performance, he is now not hitting nearly enough versus pitcher's pitches. He's only hitting uh, pitches that he'd be capable of hitting for power. That being said, he's really capitalizing on all of them. Any of those types of pitches, he is hitting for power. He's not missing on them. So you got to give him credit where credit is due. But as a free agent, he's not an Astro anymore. And um, I've heard he's looking for a $150 million contract. And you know what? I think he's going to get it. I think he's worth it. So um, not all doom and gloom for Astros players during that time. Um, But I will also mention this. That's just from 2019 to 2020. If we're looking like we did for Marisnik and for Marwin, and this is one of the main reasons I wanted to talk about this guy, if we're looking from 2017 to 2018, his numbers drop by 22%, which is a much bigger difference than just a little 10% drop. Uh, He just took a big leap forward the next year, which is a year where I am absolutely convinced that they cheated by using a whistling system. So to move on to the next player, their right fielder, Josh Reddick. Uh, Reddick has always been a personal favorite of mine 
So it sucked when, you know, the cheating was found out and uh, I had to kind of start hating him, just to be honest. Um, <laughs> I know it's funny to say it, but before that point in his career, he was a guy who could rob home runs. Uh, he, he had a high batting average for a lefty, a real beautiful swing. Um, he was just like a grinder. He was one of those types of guys where you would have loved to have him in the bottom third in your lineup. Uh, and, you know, you trust him in the field. You trust him on the bases. And you trust him at the plate. Nothing flashy, but steady. And, and I like that from a player. Um, and if you look at his numbers, in 2017, he had the best year of his career. He was 27%. 27%. That's middle of the order uh, numbers. Maybe not quite number three hitter or number four hitter, but number five hitter numbers. Uh, not number six hitter numbers, which is more edge of middle of the order, like actual number five hitter, middle of the order numbers. Middle of the order for me is two to two to five, mm. especially like the new, the new metrics say that the number two spot in the lineup is one of the most valuable so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely fine, uh, uh, you know, including that in the middle of the order. Um, it just means that, you know, leadoff types who can hit are, are, are technically middle of the order. But to get back to Reddick, 27% above league average, the year of the cheating, 2017, the main year at least. The next year, he was 1% below league average. The drop in performance for him was 28%, almost 30%. So drastic drastic drop he his batting average before 314 his batting average after 242 i mean I, I can get into more statistics than that but i think that's all i need to say um so the next player uh the uh cuban Derek jeter that's what they called him uh when he was coming over and they were trying to you know sell him on his talents and how good he was even though he was like a 33 year old or a 31 year old something like that coming over from Cuba and uh, not like exactly a guy who was supposed to hit for too much power. Uh, his first 36 games, he was very meh. He was 16% below league average in 2016. 2017 though, when you have him knowing what pitches are coming, all of a sudden he's 18% above league average. The next year he drops by a full 11%, which, you know, granted isn't as much as you'd think. But when the cheating comes back in 2019, he's 32% above league average. Well, guess what happens without the cheating in 2020? He's, what's that? That's 21% below league average. That means if you're combining from, this, from, from 2019 to 2020, his numbers dropped by 53%. That's insane. That's a lot. He, he halved himself. Like that's, that's, that's terrible. Like that, I'm telling you, the fact that all of these hitters are experiencing these drops, this is, this is enough evidence. This is, this is all you need, but here's the best part. I haven't even gotten to the three main guys, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve. You know what? I think I'll do Altuve for last because I mentioned him earlier. I mentioned how he took Aaron judges MVP away from him. I, I, I think Given what happened to Altuve, <laughs> I'll, I'll address him last. I'll go with I'll go with Bregman first because Bregman legitimately put up a decent year last year, um, and you know also you have to remember that Bregman's rookie year was 2017, so uh, he he was going to progress, 
but if you're looking at from when the cheating stopped, which it, 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 I think, you know, for, for most of their guys, they, they stopped doing like, okay. Some of their guys, they won't really be using the system with as much after 2017. I think I, I addressed this. They use the system when the game is on the line. Well, you think they'd also use the system when the game is on the line and the best hitters are at the plate. Like maybe you have three guys coming to the plate, right? And maybe two of them are Josh Reddick and, and Yuli Gurriel. And then you turn the lineup over and you have Springer coming up. So maybe you would use it with Springer, you know? Or, or, or if you have Bregman coming up, you use it with Bregman because how good of a hitter Bregman is. Mm-hmm. Or, or you, you get the idea. So um, I think especially with the whistling system, um, I think Bregman was definitely using it. Uh, but if I needed any evidence to really show, his rookie year, he was 23% above league average. The next two years, he was like 60% above league average. And then last year, without the cheating, he was once again 22% above league average. Basically the same numbers as his rookie year, except... 40% lower batting average because, of course, he's not Cheating. capable of – Yes, yeah. exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> yeah. But, like, if we really want to, like, hammer the point home, last season, 2019, he was 68% above league average. That's some Mike Trout stuff. Mm. But in 2020, he was 22% above league average. It's a 46% drop. So that's – I mean – don't get me wrong, 22% above league average. I'd love to have somebody in the sixth spot or in the seventh spot who's doing that. And if you're getting that performance out of a middle infield spot or, or third base even, that's fine. Um, but given that he doesn't give you anything on the bases, he's average on defense, and that he's only going to be hitting against pitchers, mm-hmm. uh, or, or not pitchers' pitches, uh, pitchers' mistakes rather than pitchers' pitches, um, it, it plays down rather than up. For instance, there's a if you could if you have a hitter who's 22% above league average, right, and it, it's an aggressive profile and they have a lot of success on balls in play and they're not really striking out that much. That's going to hit elite pitchers, but with this, that's dependent on mistakes. It's not. So the 22 versus this guy's 22 will play probably more like a 11, whereas an aggressive hitter it might play as a 33. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does. So, because um, this is just dealing with, you know, how much, you know, your numbers say you're above average or below average. It's not telling you whether your approach allows you to hit tougher pitchers. So, um, yeah, that's Bregman. Fell off from last year to this year by 46%. Now we have Carlos Correa, who's like the loudmouth of the team. Like if Bregman's the closest to being respectable, Carlos Correa is just kind of a jerk. I mean, like imagine if you lose the world series, right? The Dodgers lost the world series in 2017 to the Astros. And then imagine if you're a player on that team and you're like, yeah, they cheated. We should have won the world series that year. Uh, You know, it is what it is. And then imagine being somebody on the Astros and publicly not only calling out the player who called you out for cheating, but cursing him out in an interview on live te- television. That's Carlos Correa. He did that. You can look that up. 
he's like a legitimately terrible human being. Like I've seen him slap the ball out of people's gloves, like vintage A-Rod when A-Rod was terrible. I'm glad that A-Rod grew up. That's a conversation for another day too. It's a great story. Um, I've seen <laughs> Carlos Correa like legitimately run out of the baseline to like deliberately get like people to make errors. Like he, he has no chill. Like it's Bush league level stuff. Like he'll do whatever it takes to win and he won't care. He'll rub it in your face because he won. It's, it's terrible. It's literally like, are you four years old? You know what I mean? It's like, you'd expect that from like a middle schooler or some, something like that. Like we've all played like middle school dodgeball. And there's always that like middle schooler who complains because like the ball didn't touch me. It just touched my shirt. Like, dude, like, it, it, that's just the grown-up entitled version of that, you know? Uh, that's Carlos Correa. Grown-up entitled him. and cheating version. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, dude, I hate this guy. I do. I, I hate him. So, all right. To, to, he's a great player, all right? But I hate him. Uh, I wish I had his ability. I don't wish I – well, I actually do have his back. I was about to say I don't wish I had, had his back, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, but my back's terrible too. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, anyway, um, <laughs> in 2017, Carlos Correa was 52% above league average. The next year, he was league average. So he dropped off by 52%. When the system kicked back up in 2019, he now was once again above average, but this time it was by 43%. So he wasn't as good at the cheating, I guess. <laughs> uh, and then... You, you come back to 2020 without the cheating where the consequences have come in and everybody's watching you. And he goes from 43% above league average to 3% below league average. So a 46% drop. But just because I hate Carlos Correa and I really want to drive the point home, uh, whereas, you know, Alex Bregman, and I could have mentioned this when we went over Bregman, Alex Bregman tailed off significantly in the second half. He was about a league average hitter. So even that 22% above league average that we discussed doesn't really properly explain how bad Bregman got. The 3% below league average that Correa is showing us doesn't quite explain how bad Correa got because his first month of the season, which granted was five games, Correa was 107% above league average. He was nuts, but if we're going to look at it first half to second half of this year, Carlos Correa in the second half of this season was 35% below league average. If he did that over the course of a full year, that means his numbers would have dropped. What's that? 30, 78%. His numbers would have fallen off 78% without the cheating. Oh my God. I, this is the first time I actually calculated that. I'm a little blown away here. That's a lot. That's seven, that's, 78%, that's 78%. You go from 43% above league average to, 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 to 35% below league average. That is. Wow. Wow. I, I'm blown away. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't want to just 
be this blown away for this much longer because i'm just gonna be quiet <laughs> and we'll just be dead silent for the rest of the podcast but like that that's a sig that's really a significant number um so okay let's move on let's move on so the guy who won the mvp in 2017 jose altuve he was 60 percent above league average that year the next year his numbers dropped off by 26 percent, so a decent amount for sure mm -hmm but not as drastic as some of the other guys. But when the Astros were found out officially for cheating uh, after the 2019 season, in which he was 38% above league average, I thought Altuve, just like the rest of them, you know, the numbers would drop off a bit. I was not prepared for Altuve over the course of a full season, whereas Correa, you know, he had a, a terrible year. And it got worse as the season went on. And in the second half of the year, you know, he was 35% below league average. But again, that's the second half. You know, he still had that beginning of the year that was pretty decent. Well, Altuve over the course of the entire year last year was 23% below league average. Which when you add it to how much above league average he was the year before, he was 60, it's a 61% difference, 61% drop. The, the sample size there is legitimate. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not the kind of guy. Well, look, when you have guys who have big second halves, they're never these aggressive hitters. They're always guys who, because of how hard they swing, uh, it takes them a bit for their swing to be, you know, fundamentally, mechanically, absolutely on point each time when they swing. So at the beginning of the year, there'll be a lot of pop-ups. There'll be a lot of ground balls. This especially happens to switch hitters who mainly have killer second halves and work up to it over the course of a month or two months at the beginning of the year. But it also happens to basically anyone who's got ridiculous swing speed at point of impact, like Aaron Judge or uh, Matt Chapman, or there's, there's, a, there's a lot of these guys. Uh, so I wouldn't expect a guy like Altuve to be a second half hitter. He kind of is going to be the guy where like, if he's, if he's cold for a bit, he'll be cold for a week and then he'll be hot for the rest of the year or he'll be different versions of hot for the rest of the year. But as the kind of hitter he is, you'd expect him to be consistent. I mean, this is a guy who batted 340, 310, 338, basically 340, 346, basically 350, 316, and then 298, basically 300, back to back to back to back to back years. So you'd expect that like, you know, if he plays 48 games and gets a third of a full season of at-bats or really a, a half of a season of at-bats, given how Altuve is uh, trending, you'd expect like him to basically at some point, you know, at least have, you know, a period of time where he's hot, you know, maybe he gets hurt at the end or something. Mm -hmm. Altuve never had that. Like he, he fully looks like somebody who was only above average in any sort of way from cheating and if the cheating had not been in place, it actually looks like he would have been like out of the game a year ago, which is like kind of crazy to think that you can just take a guy who makes enough contact and is direct enough to the ball. And if you tell them what pitches are coming, they'll just be 40% above league average every year. It actually, it makes me, it makes me even more angry to be honest, you know, like, like think about that, you know, like you could just take anyone. Mm -hmm. You could literally just take anyone and, and make them into that kind of player. 
Uh, but then, of course, you know, you get into the people saying that, you know, there's no statistical evidence that it impacted games. As in, like, you know, there's no evidence, in, but like saying that if they didn't cheat, that, you know, they would have, you know, won less. No, there's absolutely evidence showing that if they didn't cheat, they would have won less. I mean, we can look at, you know, just what we looked at now, you'd be blind to not recognize the difference. Or we can look into the numbers from that year. That's situational. Um, a lot of people aren't aware that you can do this. If you go onto Fangraphs, which is the best baseball statistics website outside of Baseball Savant, which very few people know how to navigate, and you go into the team statistics, right? Or heck, you can even do this for individual players, but I wouldn't do it for players because players' numbers can fluctuate for drastically different reasons on a year-to-year basis. So it, I wouldn't really do this for, for an individual players. But if you have players that are functioning off of a Wait, system, but if we're, if we're going into fan graphs and everything, yes. do you want to save that for the well, next episode? You know what? Yeah, I think we'll save this for the next yeah. episode. This, if, if you're gonna, if you've stuck around, I'm glad. Thank you. Uh, but the next episode is going to be if we've given you enough proof to show that the individual players mm -hmm. uh, cheated and it affected their numbers and how good they did over the course of a year. This next episode is going to show you how the team used this system when runners were on second, when the game was on the line to strategically gain advantages over all the other teams, not just that year, the year after and the year after that. Uh, this is how they were able to win all of those tight games because it's one thing to get what pitch is coming in a normal situation. The game might, may not be on the line. There might not be a runner on base. You know, you may not need that. And of course, they're trying to not be detected for what they're doing. So what better time to use a system like that when the other team's so concentrated on what they're trying to do that they won't be aware that what, of what you're trying to do, you know? Mm -hmm. They won't be aware that this is when you get your advantage, that, you know? And honestly, I think it's, it's, it's almost more offensive to use it in a situation like this because they're trying their hardest. So, um, yeah, uh, we'll save that for the next episode, I guess. Dude, I love it. I love it. it yeah, so we'll, you, you guys will hear about the proof. And uh, we'll be here to provide it. See you on the All next right. one. Like and subscribe.